0: join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane
1: whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show this recap is for you so find us anywhere you get your podcasts at seventh heaven a lesbian recap i was
2: getting this beautiful gift out of the suffering of someone else and i knew it yes. was just heartbreaking for her
1: Hey Michelle. (laughs) It's not Michelle, it's Lindsay. (laughs) But I really like that long delay. Yeah, I'm not Michelle. Hey Lindsay. Hey Carly.
0: (laughs) I feel awkward about it.
1: Yeah, so Michelle is taking some time away because she's trying to figure out where she's gonna move. And she's also really sick with a cold. So I was like, girl, I got this. I didn't really have it. Tonight, I was like, hey, Lindsay, my girlfriend, will you record our intro outro with us? With me? Just me. And so here we are. We find ourselves at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night sitting crisscross applesauce on our bed. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. How was your week? It was fine. You weren't here the whole time. I know I wasn't here. That's why I feel like this was like a good fit. (laughs) Because I was house-sitting, cat-sitting, and yeah, so we didn't really see each other a whole ton. Yeah, that's true. But you went to Edmonton on Saturday.
0: Yes, for a figure skating competition. The last
1: one of the season. Yeah, and how did you score?
0: (laughs) I did, yeah, for my daughter, it was fine. She didn't score as high as she wanted to, but it was her first time in the level that she was competing in. Yeah. And so she's hard on herself, so...
1: That's hard. I remember being the kid that was hard on myself, but like now as an adult, I'm like, but you did great. Yeah.
0: I know. Like the whole time in the car, I was like, but this is your first time at this level.
1: And you know,
0: all those other skaters were landing their axles and you've only been working on it for three weeks. And she, that wasn't good enough. She cried like three times. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just a loser. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just a loser mom that loves her.
1: Yeah. I know. You don't know. About landing axles.
0: I, I actually don't. Put a hockey puck in the net.
1: Right. Yeah. And then this upcoming week, you're going to Kelowna. Yeah. To play hockey. To play hockey. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know, like, why do we even live together? I never see you. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, there'll be a for sale sign on the house when I leave. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Normally, Michelle and I talk about our weeks and I didn't have a ton going on. I didn't feel great last week. Your son had a cold and I think that through the gift of sharing I also experienced some of that. And that was kind of it. Just I worked, I podcasted, and
0: We hosted a nine-year-old's birthday party last Saturday.
1: Yeah, that was something I never thought I would do. But it was okay. We survived it. Nobody bled.
0: No, but yeah, like I didn't know how easy it was to climb on the roof of our shed. Oh yeah. 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 I did have to help a kid down.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I also didn't realize that some parents would read that invitation and think to themselves, yeah, this is like a family invite.
0: Yeah. I don't. I just feel like that one family did. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, once they showed up and like, she's a solo parent because the dad works out of town. What was she going to do with the other kid? But it was very, like they showed up an hour late. They didn't RSVP. They did, yeah.
1: But now we have a new best friend because she was so stinking sweet. She was, and I just wanted to like help her with her kids because they're just two rambunctious boys.
0: Yeah, that's a nice way of saying.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't have my own kids, but I guess even with Michelle's kids, she's gone to some birthday parties where other parents stay.
0: I used to stay up until they were about six. Why? Because like, I think under the age of six, like you got to wipe their butt or something. Yeah. Like you can't really just leave them. And like, you don't like, yeah, I don't, I would either, I didn't know the parents or the parents didn't know me or like parents stayed at my kids' birthdays up until about grade one. And is that, I guess, yeah.
1: Like you just feel like then you got to be friends with them.
0: Yeah. Which for my daughter, that actually like turned into me getting to know families in the neighborhood and the parents and the moms and like. Now she's still really great friends with them, and I trust her to go for a sleepover. Well, and now we know Omar's mom. We know Omar's mom and his little brother. Shishi? Shushu, Shushu, Shushu.
1: Shushu was a nickname. It was his name. I don't know what his yeah. birth name is, but Shushu. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't their no. mom? Hey, Bye. Yeah. Heba? Heba? We should clarify that next time we hang out with her. We should.
0: And my ex-husband the kid's dad was here when she first got here
1: oh yeah and
0: it was it, it was she wasn't quite sure what our dynamic was at all
1: i think a lot of people like i'm always with you and yeah. then yeah you had made reference to like oh yeah that was why it's dad yeah he was just here for a little bit
0: yeah because he left like shortly after they arrived yeah and then she was like oh you guys live here together and i was like mm-hmm, we're together <laughs> yeah
1: there's no real smooth way of saying it if somebody doesn't get it right away. Yeah, I, such as Mike the Mover. Oh. Oh, that story. No, but on our moving <laughs> on our moving day we hired Mike the Mover. So it was Mike and his crew moving things. And then right towards the end, what did he say?
0: Well, he said we were like just finishing unloading the last bit and Mike is probably like an I don't know, 50 or 60-year-old Yeah. And he had, like, some 20-year-olds helping him, who clearly, I think, knew what was up. Yeah. And he came in and he was like, oh, so are you guys sisters? <laughs> but then you said, no, this is my girlfriend, but he didn't hear you. Yes. So and
1: I had he, to make it more awkward.
0: Yeah. You were like, no, this is my lover. Yeah. We very aggressive. Yeah. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to be chill. I know. Yeah. And then I think he just finished what he was doing. and
0: Yeah. Which was fine. Fu- it was fine.
1: Yeah. But I don't know. I guess that's it. Yeah, update on Michelle. She has not yet found a place. This rental market is wild. I don't know, man. It's just, I said last week, we're just waiting on a Hail Mary. But, you know, we're down to 11 days before she has to move.
0: Yeah, it sucks.
1: Yeah, it's not great. So send your thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. Taps. Taps to Michelle. I hope she's in bed right now, but I feel like she's just sending me TikToks, to be honest. But that's her self-care. That's like our love language. <laughs> I don't think you've ever heard of this, Lindsay, but do you ever feel like in your life you can't get enough of me and Michelle talking to each other? No. Nope. You never feel that? <laughs> we clearly didn't plan this. I'm trying to on the Patreon.
0: Oh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i wish i could listen to your voices all the time
1: yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well is there
0: any way that i could find more episodes anywhere else
1: yeah it's so funny that you ask that because actually we have a patreon oh what is that? it's a subscription service and so for as little as five dollars a month you get instant access to over 55 bonus episodes Mm -hmm. you're never going to hear these on the main feed we talk about everything we talk about my crazy ex we talked about her husband. We had you on the Patreon. Twice. Oh, yeah. We talked about dating people who steal. Dating people who steal. And being a caregiver to somebody with an illness. Yeah. We solved the... Oh, God. What's her name? jean bonnie Ramsey. Yeah. We solved the jean bonnie Ramsey and Michelle Nysselt. It was the brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, now nobody's going to subscribe. So if you love what we do, if you can't get enough, If you want another way of supporting us, you can go to patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this and then literally sign up for it. Yeah. Oh, man. You guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I can't talk about it with Lindsay because she has not heard it yet, but it's a repeat guest, Amanda. We had Amanda on to talk about living with cystic fibrosis, and this week we're talking to her about her two different types of adoption that she did. Yeah, that's... That's crazy. Well, yeah, you don't even know. You haven't even heard it. Well, I'll listen to it on my way to work tomorrow. Oh, my God. Cute. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Carling. How are you doing today? How are you? Good. How are you?
2: <laughs> doing, good. <laughs> <laughs> doing good. We're talking on top of each other there. But, I know. Yeah, We're just so really excited.
1: Well. Good. Yeah,
2: it's good to return to the show. I, I'm excited. Yeah,
1: I know. I was so excited that you had a good enough experience the first time that you agreed to come back a second time.
2: <laughs> it's a little bit like therapy, getting to talk about your issues with. People that are open to listening and hearing your stories. So
1: (laughs) yeah, I really do think even when we tell our own stories or a lot of our guests always say like, oh, that felt really good. Like just like get it off your chest, send it into the universe and just know that there's probably a ton of people that can relate and got something out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked to you back in October, our episode 83, Living with Cystic Fibrosis. And that was a great episode. And we've gotten such great feedback from people that either have CF or didn't know about it and got to learn a bunch about it. And then we had mentioned in that episode that we wanted to talk to you about international adoption, infertility, and your journey through that because that's been a ride for you
2: hmm Yeah. So one of the side effects of CF is difficulty getting pregnant or infertility. It mostly actually affects CF males because they act like 95% or something like that actually can't have children naturally. There's like oh my ways God. that they can do it with intervention. And then a lot of females also struggle pretty significantly with that. So I already knew going into trying to get pregnant, that it could be something that wasn't super easy, but I was fairly healthy and my doctor team supported me trying to get pregnant, which was great. And we also, my ex-husband and I visited a geneticist to make sure that we would have, you know, most likely a healthy baby. Obviously there's no guarantees, but because he doesn't carry the CF gene, there was like a 0.01 chance the child could have CF. Wow. But yeah, we entered the, the journey of trying to naturally conceive. And I will say that nobody signs
1: up for not
2: being able, <laughs> able to get pregnant. It's uh, kind of awful. and Yeah,
1: even when you know that the chances are less, it still must be, yeah. you know, you still have the anticipation, the hope.
2: Yeah, and I had like a really healthy reproductive cycle and there was really no reason I shouldn't have been able to get pregnant. And I actually did get pregnant for sure at least once, I think a couple other times, but unfortunately miscarried fairly Early on. And so it is, it's a heartbreaking journey that we went through for three years. It really tests a marriage (laughs) hugely, but it also tests, I think, any woman that I've talked to that goes through it. You just sort of question your womanhood because it's like this is something at the bare basic minimum that women quote unquote, should be able to do. And I respect that there's so many women that don't want to do that. And some women that don't want to do that, that get pregnant. And you know, it's just such a, a spectrum. But yeah, when you're desperately wanting a child, and then it doesn't pan out for you. So after about three years, we had tried lots of stuff. And of course, for About two years of the process, I was on and off hormones, which is just another level of hell that, you know, is just not fun to deal with and like causes significant depression. And you just like start to not become yourself in the infertility journey. And it sucks because it's supposed to be this exciting process and it just becomes sort of dreadful. So I finally looked at my ex-husband and said, I can't do this like for one more day would you consider adoption? Because the goal is that I want to be a mom, you know, right. and, and I would love to parent somebody else's baby that maybe they aren't able to do, do that for them. So he took a while to come around to the idea. He wasn't sure that he could love a child that wasn't biologically his, which created a little bit of a marital crisis, but we did come to the point where we agreed that we wanted to build our family through adoption So we went to some adoption seminars and discovered that one of the things with international adoption is they tell you to choose, like if you're wanting to adopt interracially, that you would look at a country where you are happy to integrate that culture into your life. Okay. And so we chose to adopt from new orleans in the states it was about a year after hurricane katrina and there was a bit of a crisis with babies that were needing to find homes and it's actually like such a sad process and i'm actually going through a process of deconstructing the whole adoption process especially interracially (laughs) but we can talk about that a little bit later that it's just like really sad that instead of white people going in and adopting these babies that were not actually providing support for birth mothers to right. parent their children. But I'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But we, we called the agency in New Orleans. The people that worked there were just like angels from heaven, like just such beautiful people, so beautiful to the birth moms and their journeys. And just, it just seemed like a really lovely process. So they told us it would be six to 12 months to get a match. And we sent down our profile and you put together a scrapbook of like photos and the kinds of dreams that you have as a parent and the process to apply it. Like you do what's called a home study for months. And that's like a part-time job filling out paperwork and You literally have to answer all the questions like, how would you discipline? How would you decide what the rules are? Who can change the rules? What's the role between the different parents? And like, you really have to think through absolutely everything, which is a great exercise that all parents should do before having a child. I was just
1: thinking like, that should just be the process you do before ever having a child.
2: (laughs) It's true because there's just (laughs) so many things you don't think about with parenting that come up. And so, yeah, we sent it down and two weeks later, we got a call that we had a match and that she was, this was mid-July and that she was due at the end of August. And we were kind of like, oh Oh my gosh." gosh, like we don't have a crib. We don't have anything, but we're like, okay, well, we've got about six weeks. So we will, you know, start getting that process set up. Ryan my ex-husband had just started a brand new job so he was like panicking because he's like they're not gonna let me go away for a week to yeah but it turned out that Elliot our son was born two weeks later so like the first weekend in August and we had just like nothing ready we hopped on a plane it was so exciting though we went down to New Orleans and you know, went to Target and bought a car seat and like just some of those bare minimums oh that you God. need. Yeah. And a couple bottles and some onesies. I was like, I have no idea. And he was, you know, a little bit early. So he was just tiny. Like, so he didn't even fit zero to three months clothing. And we had to wait a few days before we could see him because birth mom has to like sign off on the papers before you're allowed to see your baby, and then it was just like a movie because I don't think maternity wards in Canada are like this, but down there, you literally like went and saw through the glass window all the little baby. I don't know, they're all, like incubators uh, but they're kind yeah. of like those little crib things, like all lined up with all the babies, and then there was like his little one, and the nurse like rolled him up to the glass and changed his little diaper, and it was just so surreal to be like, well that's my son now. And did you meet
1: the birth mom?
2: Yeah. So we had talked to her a couple times on the phone and then we got to meet her a couple times before we'd ever seen Elliot. And so it was extremely emotional for me because I felt like I was sort of, I was getting this beautiful gift out of the suffering of someone else. And I knew it was just heartbreaking for her, but it was her fifth child, age five and under. And she was working part-time at Wendy's and just didn't have the means to parent another child. So it was very heartbreaking and it felt quite unfair for me yeah. to be taking this child and of course you just make all the promises in the world that you can that you will give him the life that she would want for him you know but it is it's a very bittersweet experience and i bawled the night before we went to get him from the hospital because i just felt kind of like evil that i was getting this child out of the grief of another and so yeah it took me quite a while to sort of reconcile that but we have kept in touch with birth mom not as much in the last few years just sort of naturally we have each other's numbers we can contact each other but I think just as he's gotten older because he's almost 16 now it just sort of naturally faded, but it's there if any, if either of them want it. So yeah, we brought him home on the plane. He was a week old, just like absolutely tiny. They made an announcement on the plane that we were bringing home our son and everybody Aww. cheered. It was just
1: like really special. Nice. And it
2: was. And it was one of the best moments of my life coming through the, like through the customs gate in the, at the Calgary airport and all of our family was there we were all crying and looking at this tiny little boy (laughs) So it it was really really special bringing him home and then a few years later we decided we were ready to jump into the process again and this time we chose to actually go through our child and family services in calgary so we did a public adoption this time so that's a really different process and we were again told it would take years and then we got a match like four months later and adopted little emmy who was eight months old at the time and she had already been in four different homes and lots of like trauma in the womb and then like attachment stuff you know, after being born, because she was placed with birth grandma, who was a refugee from Sudan and had a lot of trauma herself and just wasn't able to healthily parent. Calgary, Child and Family Services did provide a ton of support to try to foster and keep that placement. But unfortunately, birth grandma just like wasn't prepared. And Emmy's birth mom had like very significant mental health issues and just... Would not have been able to care for her. So right,
1: yeah. So then and, we- you, and So when you go through the child and family services, it's not like you get picked by the birth mom. Correct. It's like this child is available and requires a home. Yeah. Do you want it? Exactly. Do you so it's them, pretty rare
2: that. that you don't actually start by fostering, but because they just did not have a viable placement. For them, and actually the Sudanese community of Calgary did actually protest Emmy's removal from the home. Mm. So CFS tried to find another Sudanese family in in Calgary that would take her, but they proposed no other options. So, you know, fair enough. And I think the only reason that they placed her with us is because we had another Black child, because they didn't want her to be sort of the only one, and not have some of that cultural support. I think they were like really struggling with how to find her, you know, the most supportive home for her culture, and the most likely mental health stuff that she would come across in her lifetime. So she had how many homes in eight months? She had four homes. So initially, they put her into foster care till they could find a family placement. They kept... Her in the family placement for, I want to say, four or five months, but just, like, wasn't working. So when yeah. she got to her third foster home, she was severely underweight, had no muscle development, just, like, wasn't being properly cared for and fed and whatnot. Right. So, yeah, it was just too, there was too many barriers there
1: unfortunately and it's
2: just so much trauma I have zero blame or anger anything because I just think when you heard birth mom and birth grandma's story of just like the absolute horrors they faced in their life it just you know it's just I can't believe people survive what they went through (laughs) so I was you know honored to be able to do what I could to parent Emmy in the best way possible give her the best life that I possibly could. So then as Elliot was growing, he had a lot of behavioral issues. He was very aggressive, violent. And yeah, there was just like a lot of stuff going on for him. And we were getting specialists and psychologists and all these people to help him. But, you know, they sort of said like he has lower cognitive functioning and he has severe, severe ADHD, like 98% combined type diagnosis, which creates significant anxiety and anger. And like his brain literally does not say stop when he's getting angry. Like we have our frontal cortex will say, okay, you're getting angry, take a breath or go for a walk. But his just literally has no stop sign. So, you know, even in his preschool years, he was like super violent and would kick and scream and like get so angry when we would leave a play place that he would vomit oh, everywhere because he would just be screaming so hard. And it was it was tough. Like yeah. I was like, I all I wanted was to be a mom. And then I have this little guy who's just so angry and so difficult and just really didn't feel attached to me. And we did everything right. Like they talk about skin on skin and always feeding him and always holding him as much as possible to create that attachment when you're a non-biological parent. And, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, we did
2: everything by the book and we're reading all the books on how to create attachment with this little guy, but he just couldn't get there. And even in elementary, we got him like into supportive school classes to help with his learning disabilities and, and all that stuff. But I went for two years in upper elementary to an attachment specialist and worked with him for two years. And at the end, she said, I have nothing more for you. I've never seen a kiddo so resistant to attachment. Um, And
1: is that from the trauma? Like I heard a Quote once that even getting adopted straight out of the womb, there's a trauma. There's like a loss and a grief that happens with the infant.
0: And yeah, absolutely. Is, is
1: that where it stemmed from or is was there other underlying issues? Well, it like our
2: understanding is that he didn't have any exposure to drugs or alcohol in the pregnancy, but we don't you I guess you never know for sure, but I I don't think he did based on who his birth mother was. Like she was a really wonderful human. But who knows? And it doesn't mean she wasn't wonderful if she did use during pregnancy, but I do believe that he experienced significant adoption trauma, even though he was adopted at one week old. Yeah. I think there's just a bond that is broken there. And I think too, I've done like some work around epigenetics where the trauma of the birth parent is also passed down in the psyche of the uh, child. So it can be, you know, just the trauma of Hurricane Katrina and being displaced and losing her home with four children the year before would be so much to be carrying along with the grief of knowing that you weren't going to be able to keep your child. Like, yeah, there's so many levels there. So he just struggled and struggled. And I just refused to give up. And this kid has put me through the <laughs> ringer. I love him so much, but it has not been easy. There's been suspensions from school and expulsions and, oh. you know, sort of like everybody just giving up on him. But yeah. the few people that happened are me and his dad. And we co parent beautifully together and have the kids every other week, which, you know, isn't always ideal for kids, but every therapist that's ever worked with us actually said this is ideal for the kids that you have because you each have that like respite time yes. every other week to like re enter the significant work of parenting these kiddos. So, yeah, he struggles still with some of those things but he's gotten tons of therapy and I'm very happy to report that he has very much turned a corner in the last year and is super loving and is, is learning how to calm himself down he came home the other day after being at his dad's for a week and he's like can I come into your office I was working he's like I just wanted to let you know I love you so much oh. and I missed you this week and can I give you a hug and like it floored me because this is a kid that two years ago let me know how much I was hated oh, over God. ever being told I was loved so yeah. you know it's incredible. Like. If you just keep going with these kids and never stop loving them, never stop believing that they can get there and, and get them the right medication. And doctors, you know, it it does it does happen, but it takes a lot. And it and it took a toll on both of my marriages for sure and impacted that. And then Emmy, sweet little Emmy, we always knew she was a little bit delayed, but once she got into kindergarten things started to really take a, a turn for the worse she was always fairly happy until she got into kindergarten and then we started to see like some signs that things weren't normative in her functioning and and we took her for psychological assessment and they diagnosed her with autism and severe ADHD and severe intellectual disability and we were just kind of floored because we just hadn't, observed these things in her. And it was only when she would show up at school that these behaviors would come out. And so we were just like, yeah, I know she's a bit delayed, but like, I had no idea about these other diagnoses. And so we started to, again, get her into specialized school programs. And we started to work with I think she was about eight or nine. We started to work with an autism specialist and again, worked with them for two years. And at the end she said, I don't think she has autism because you guys are prescribing to all of these systems and processes really well, and nothing is changing. So we were kind of like, okay, what do we do now? And so we went through the process of having her tested for fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay. We knew she had been exposed in utero to drugs, and they have said that drugs affect long term affect a fetus not as long term as alcohol does. I don't oh, agree with that anymore. And I think we oh, okay. have got to do some more research on that. Yeah. But most likely if because her birth mom was fairly street entrenched, most likely if she's using hard drugs, there's probably alcohol involved too. Yeah. But you can't actually get a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome unless the birth mom has specifically disclosed that they used alcohol uh, during pregnancy, or you go through this intensive assessment to get that diagnosis. Yeah, then you can't actually get the government supports in place without that diagnosis. So she, sure enough, was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, and we got tied into some support groups for that. But stuff was still getting
1: weird and and was her uh, attachment was her attachment different than Elliot's
2: yeah absolutely like right from the get-go she was always very loving affectionate which is so interesting because you see her start to life so much significantly harder but yeah like right from the get-go she still is very loving and you know doesn't she doesn't really question her adoption or You know, she'll still, she has like that lower functioning piece, but she'll still like get mixed up and think that I birthed her or, uh, you know, so we have to, when she was about five or six, she's always been obsessed with Katy Perry. (laughs) When she was five or six, she's like, oh, mommy, when I came out of your tummy, she's saying something. I was like, oh, honey, you know, you have a different tummy, mommy. I didn't give birth to you. And she says, Oh, well, was Grammy my tummy mommy? Like, my mom was like, No. And then she's like, Oh, mommy, was it Katy Perry? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, honey. I think you two look really different, but that would be cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so she's always, she's never really struggled with that. And I think it's a little bit of a blessing that she does have some of those delays because it's just I think she doesn't question or struggle with that grief in the same way that Elliot has so we were starting to see it was two years ago now that things were getting really strange and I was asking other FAS parents like do you see your kids talking to themselves or hiding in their closets and you can't even get their attention when they're it's like she was just in this other world and it was not her because when she was A couple years before she was engaged and she could answer questions and she had just gotten to the point where I couldn't get through to her at all. I would literally have to prompt her to take every single bite, chew, 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 swallow. And she was losing weight. She was soiling herself and it was just bizarre. Like It was like she had stopped functioning and was living in this other world where she was just constantly talking to someone else that wasn't in the room.
1: That's got to be so scary. It was. Oh God, that just gives me chills. And people kept saying, the doctors are like, well, it could just
2: be fetal alcohol syndrome. And she started breaking windows and climbing out of her window repeatedly, which was dangerous. And she started to fire in her with a candle that she had snuck. And and we were trying to hide everything, but she would just find stuff and and, I don't unscrew like locks that we'd put on her window and it was just bizarre because she was figuring out ways to like be super destructive
1: how old is she at this point she was 11 okay and so it was
2: and just six months prior to this Elliot had been hospitalized for attempting to end his life and then this started to just get like really severe and we were just like drowning and finally my ex-wife said one day she's like, You have got to take her to the ER. Like, this is just because she just stood up in the middle of playing with sidewalk truck and said, I'm going to Florida and just like took off down the street. And we oh were, Oh my God. And uh, my ex had to like chase her and catch her. And, you know, we were just like, What is going on? So I was like, Okay. But I was just so scared because anybody who's gone through mental health diagnoses processes, knows how invalidating it is because every doctor just says, oh, it's just part of their diagnosis or this can be normal or, you know. And so I was always so scared to like really dig into this because it made me feel crazy. Like I was being overreactive. But by the time we actually got her to the hospital that night, she she was catatonic and like completely unresponsive. Psychiatrist was like, she should have been here a year ago.
1: Like what is going on?
2: And yeah, so she was hospitalized in a general workups for like every other illness that could have caused it. Like if she had meningitis or other things that hadn't been detected. But I was like, it's been going on like a steady decline for about two years. I don't think it's like a viral thing. Right. So after a week, they... Had determined that there wasn't like a seizure or something else that had taken place to cause this, then they put her in the psychiatric ward. And that's when we found out that she had childhood schizophrenia, which is super rare. And then they're very hesitant to diagnose that just because it's not something that happens (laughs) regularly. Yeah.
1: We interviewed um, a girl, Elle, who has schizophrenia, and her, I think her mom and grandma had it, and they wouldn't diagnose her until she was, I think, 17 or 18. Because it Yeah, was- exactly. Yeah.
2: And Emmy's birth mom had suspected schizophrenia. So we okay. knew that that could be something that came up. But again, just like Elle, they just kept saying like the fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm like, but she has this medical history. Like, why can't I get help? Yeah. You know, so finally, and then again, her psychiatrist been here a year ago. Like she's in such severe psychosis that we aren't sure we can bring her back because she was feral. Like she wasn't sleeping. Yeah. They were giving her Ativan to get her to sleep. She wouldn't sleep on that. And she was like 80 pounds because she wouldn't eat. She wouldn't like properly toilet. She was in like- yeah. 24-hour observation, this tiny little thing, you know, and had a 24-hour security guard in the hospital. Um, And was that because she was was a risk to
1: herself and others?
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Ryan and I visited every day. We created a schedule where we'd go every other day. So she never, she was in the hospital for five months and she never had a day where family wasn't there to be with her. But that first couple months was just brutal because I would be laying there and she would just sit and talk to herself. And then all of a sudden would start screaming that there was a wolf in the room that was going to kill her and be like (sighs) clinging to me for like dear life. Like, the fear and that screaming like someone was act like she was actually going to die.
1: Yeah. And
2: then all of a sudden she would be like, I'm the wolf and start attacking me, thinking Ugh. I'm the person that's going to hurt her. And the security guard would have to pull her off of me and then like restrain her. Like watching your baby who you know like this is not her. Yeah. <laughs> go through that was just so traumatic and so heartbreaking to see that your child literally thinks they're going to die and you're you know just doing everything you can to protect them and at the time and that's scary
1: because like that's her truth right that is actually her reality is that so it's not just like a kid who thinks there's a monster in their closet it's like this is the real thing that she's living through
2: Yeah. And she was talking to people like looking like there was somebody in the room and telling me what they looked like and what they would say. And they would say awful things to her like she's ugly and she's awful and she's mean and she's wicked. And they would tell her to do these messed up things. And that's like what we had found out after with like her behaviors at home is these voices were telling her to do this stuff. And it's just so such a Heartbreaking thing to like think, like living in that reality would be awful. Like,
1: I just, yeah, for
2: any folks out there living with schizophrenia, like, I have so much compassion. Yeah, even,
1: yeah. I, in thinking back to the interview with Elle, like, she would say, you know, hers, she hears her family's voices and they call her name, and she has to go through a checklist, like, she's medicated and she has to Mm -hmm. go through a checklist, like, okay, I know I'm home alone. I know that my dad probably isn't downstairs calling for me, mm-hmm. but you have to just constantly check your reality. Yeah, and that's got to yeah. just be exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: absolutely. And
1: so when the doctor said they don't know if they can get her back from this state of psychosis, why not? Like, I guess what is the process with schizophrenia where if you catch it, you can pull them out of it? Is it like cyclical where they come in and out of it? Guess- yeah.
2: That's a great question. I'm not 100% sure, but I think she was like, they said that she's like full, like in full blown psychosis. So it's like, okay. there isn't a cycle when you get to that point. So it's right. like, basically, is the medication actually going to impact her at all at this wow. point? Wow. Because she was just like so far down the rabbit hole. So thankful that we tried several different medications and some finally found one that worked for her, but it takes six weeks for every single different medication to actually start working so it takes just so long to figure out like the first one it's like okay it's doing okay but she still has a lot of breakthrough symptoms let's try a different one and then you have to take her off of it right she regresses and then like go back onto another one and it's just so sad to watch and one of them was giving her really bad tremors and she would just start crying because she couldn't, like, color or do Lego because her body was shaking so badly. <laughs> like, oh, it's just and like... she's
1: just little. Like, 11 yeah. is so young
2: especially because like with her cognitive abilities too like she's really mentally about four and always will be yeah so it's just like you can't even really explain it to her because she's still in that preschool mind frame yeah so yes but finally we did find a med that has been amazing for her and she has such an amazing team and she did come home after five months and is like a lovely new little happy Emmy who you know still struggles with her symptoms and she will still get frustrated because she always hears voices like she'll just be like the voices but they're uh, mumbly so it's just right. like somebody's constantly mumbling in the background oh, but and then we just have so to be frustrated and, yeah. Can you imagine just always hearing people mumbling? Yeah. 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 Finally, we did find a med that has been amazing for her. And she has such an amazing team. And she did come home after five months and is like a lovely new little happy Emmy who, you know, still struggles with her symptoms. And she will still get frustrated because she always hears voices like, She'll just be like, the voices, but they're oh, like, somebody's constantly mumbling in the background. Oh, but, and then we just have so to. Frustrated. Yeah, always hearing people mumbling. Yeah.
1: Background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She's
2: oh. just like, all of a sudden, i will be like, shut up. And you're like, oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if the voices get clearer and she can understand them, then we know we need to adjust her meds. So it's right. something that she, even with her lower cognitive functioning, is getting a, like she's able to manage it and let us know if things are getting to a point where she knows it's like unhealthy or whatever yeah so yeah it's been a journey <laughs> and you know it's still a constant it's just constant work parenting yeah also my kiddos and keeping them well and healthy and noticing if things are sort of regressing she still struggles a little bit with toileting with everything yeah almost 13 and she's in a female body and, and yet, you know, needs help with pull-ups and, you know, it's just like, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard place to parent for sure. But we have her in an incredible school in Calgary that is so good to her. And she just loves going to school every day. And she's so happy. Like yesterday morning, I woke her up and she Came down for her bowl of cereal and just said, I love life, mommy. And,
1: you know, (laughs) it's
2: so sweet and it's so just so different. And she lets me know every day how much she loves me and how thankful she is that I'm her mom. And she's just so incredibly affectionate and kind. And, you know, it's just it's like having my child back after losing her for a few years there. I'm incredibly grateful. And my son is you know, again, getting to a point where he's learning. I mean, we still get holes in the walls and we still (laughs) have moments where I'm like, you need to go for a walk or I'm going to have to call the police because he's bigger than me now. And you know, things can get very intense, but he is, that's Few and far between compared to that being a daily concern of like yeah. what am I going to say today that's going to set him off and send him into a violent frenzy where I'm going to have to lock Emmy and the dogs and myself into my bedroom and like bar the door. <laughs> so, yeah, I have learned so much from them and so much about patience and persistence and the power of mm-hmm. not giving up on your yeah. kids, even when there were times like when Emmy first went into the hospital, it was complete and utter relief because I was afraid of her and I had no love from her no affection it was like caring for a feral child like she didn't connect with you ever and she would literally sit in her closet or under her bed in the dark and watch her tablet for hours and that's the only thing that would keep her Quiet and regulated, and it was awful because I was like, yeah. I don't want to be that parent that yeah. just lets the kids sit on electronics. But otherwise, she would be again violent with me, and she would fight me and call me all sorts of names that I can't say on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like this little
0: kid and you're yeah. just
1: like, what is going on? You know, when you're a parent, you just want, you just want the best for your kid and you want the best life for them, whatever that looks like for their capabilities. And to see them suffering like that is just sounds heartbreaking.
2: It is. And you get to a point where you also just, you know, we did have conversations before Emmy was hospitalized and diagnosed of like, can we continue parenting her? Right. She's like literally removing locks from her windows and climbing out a second story window and we're like just catching her in time. Like we can't keep her safe anymore. Yeah. You know, and you're starting to go down that road of what it looks like to get her into like a group home. And in Calgary, at least, we were talking to her social worker and she's like, well, if you go down that road, you actually have to give up custody to child and family services and it's like so that's our choice is to like literally give up our child like give her back to the system how do you make that decision for your baby like
1: yeah especially
2: when you know she was not always like this like I think it would have been a different conversation had it always been like that but I was like no I know she was such a happy Gentle, like she is just so happy to come along on errands and do whatever I'm doing as long as she's with me. Yeah, you know, and I was like, that's that's who she was as a preschooler and early elementary kid. Like, this is not my child. Where has she gone? And why can't somebody help me find her again? But yeah, like having those conversations is just awful. (laughs) Like when you have to say, I can't parent anymore and I know that there are so many parents out there that have had to make a decision like that. And I yeah. do not fault them for a second because yeah. I know the toll it takes on your mental health and you can't sleep and you're afraid all the time of your child. And yeah, like even my parents and, and Ryan's parents who have been massively supportive and we've had many people in the community that have been super supportive. When I Emmy mean, was in the hospital, we had wonderful friends bringing us meals and letting us cry and, you know, just talk through things. And I'm so grateful for my community, but I know both sets of grandparents were just like, I don't know because none of our kids were like this. Nobody knows how to help. And even you go to the doctor and the pediatrician and they're just like, well maybe try this tactic of like behavior correction and it's uh, like this goes so far beyond yeah. correcting a behavior like, yeah there's only so much you can do as a parent and it's not like I was given super parenting skills
1: you yeah know? Like, that's like, just it like you're just a, a human who yeah. wanted to be a parent and are is, you're doing your best but you know that's really hard Can you talk a little bit about this deconstruction? So I think I somehow I've ended up on adoption TikTok. And (laughs) me too. (laughs) Yeah. And with this process. Yeah. It's really interesting because like I always, you know, I used to follow somebody on YouTube. I can't think of who they are, but they adopted a bunch of kids. And, Mm. you know, they always said adoption is the result of a trauma and a loss. And, you know, Mm. as happy as it is and as much as it, You know, builds your family. There's such a sadness in it because it means Mm. a a child and parent are losing each other. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Honestly, adoption TikTok is what got me on this journey and started to think. Uh, I knew like when I was starting to work towards sort of anti-racism and and building my allyship greater. And I've always been like tuned into that as much as I could be given that I have two black children and wanted to always be the best representative and best ally for my kids and understand anything that comes up for them. I started to realize that in a lot of people adopting other races is really a form of colonization thinking we can do better. Right. And in reality, sometimes we do have more
1: resources for sure. And I know a But big th- that's part... a problem in itself. Like exactly the fact that as a white person exactly. you have more access to resources. A hundred percent.
2: And one of the huge reasons that Elliot's birth mom chose our family is because we were in Canada and she knew like it's so interesting going down to New Orleans. We ended up staying in our hotel room more because people would yell out across the street, like it felt like you were a celebrity, because black people would be like, Whose baby is that? And why do you have a uh, black baby? And then when we'd say, Oh, we're we're from Canada and we've adopted him, they give us a hug and be like, You have no idea. It's my dream to be in Canada where they don't have the same issues with racism. Now,
1: yeah, it's not great, it's not yeah, perfect. Yeah.
2: And we certainly have major issues with indigenous folks in particular, but we also yeah. still have lots of racism against Asian folks and Black folks, and you know. But it's different because yeah. down there, when you are born Black, out of the that life that is projected for you is so hard. And we just heard story after story from people that would just strike up conversation of us of like how it's like the promised land to come to Canada, and that wow. is a huge reason why Elliot's birth mom chose our family she's like in Canada like you have you know she asked us like she asked us first how cold it gets <laughs> she
1: was worried
2: about how cold he might be but you know she just said like he'll have opportunities to have the same education as everybody else and he'll have the opportunity to you know build a career not based on his skin color and yeah yeah And it's true, and it's sad, and it's effed up that that's a part of her decision making process so yeah you know people talk a little bit about child trafficking that right. adoption is sort of a form of that too of yeah I want a baby I can't have one so let me go buy one yeah you know and sort of that thought process as well so yeah, I am learning about this you know Elliot does have access to his birth mom should he want it and I ask very regularly you know if that's something he ever wants but at this point he doesn't and I talk to him about, you know, I want him to have those open and honest conversations and he is brutally honest. Yeah. <laughs> about stuff. But he's like, No, I'm happy that I have the parents that I have and I'm happy that I live where I live and I don't want to meet my birth mom or any of that at this point, and, yeah. you know, that's fair. Like he's not there yet. And I've always, all, both of us have always said anytime that you want to have a email or conversation or go visit, we will make that happen for you, but yeah. he's not ready. And I just want to honor that as best as I can for him. For Emmy, it's not an option until she's 18 to open her records. So it's a little different, but she doesn't really conceptualize it the way that Elliot does. Right. She just sort of takes everything at face value and I am her mom and Ryan is her dad and she's happy that way. And, and, you know, she just doesn't internalize it in the same way, which is like great for her as well. We just, honor both of our kids journeys and our questions we're here to answer them but I know particularly for Elliot that it is it is stuff that's inside of him and questions that he asks yeah about it but you know, yeah you just have to be open to hearing those things and and be honest with myself and the parts that I play in systemic racism and the benefits that I have from being a white woman and be honest at looking at those things and and hold as much space as I possibly can for my kiddos and learn as much as I possibly can. And yeah, it, it's hard though. Like I remember the first time Elliot came home and said the N word
1: oh. and,
2: and one of his little white friends introduced him to it. And I was right. like, Oh no, he didn't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Where does this kid live?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and watching him process that you know and and talking to him about why it's problematic and of course now he listens to rap music and and hip-hop that uses it a lot and you know he doesn't see it as being problematic and we have those conversations but I also like honor the fact that for him if that's part of his journey let's you know it is what it is and just trying to again the process of discovering who he is as a black man and yeah yeah yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. And it's a strange thing for a white person to do is like trying to teach your kid about blackness when you don't have that experience and you can't really speak to it. You can mostly just listen.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, like, this white savior complex that developed Mm -hmm. with, like, white people adopting people of color, children of color. And you said something at the very beginning that talked about rather than adopting kids out, what are we doing within the system to provide supports for the birth parents who want to keep the kids? Understandably, maybe there are situations where the birth parent doesn't want a parent, and that's valid. But, you know, in the situation of Elliot's mom, like... She was working part-time and already had kids and, you know, what systems were in place for her to succeed? How many kids wouldn't be placed for adoption if, you know, we instead put resources towards social services for them? And yeah, I I listened to a podcast called Finding Cleo and it's about... The 60s Scoop in Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's called Finding Cleo. I think it's a CBC podcast, but for anybody listening, it's about in the 60s. The Saskatchewan government had this 60s scoop where their slogan was taking the Indian out of the child. And they were going into Indigenous homes and taking children and very quickly selling them, basically, to white Mm, families out of province and splitting up families because they wanted to make them white and live white culture. And I mean, the trauma that came from that, you know, and so it's a story of a group of indigenous siblings, birth siblings, and they're trying to find Cleo who was adopted out one of their siblings and the journey of trying to find her. And because the, you know, all records are sealed and destroyed and yeah, it's just, you know, instead of, you know, now it's like we're backtracking and we're trying to do this, Important work of of healing and yeah, just like like pouring resources into these communities that, you know, we as white colonizers like really um, effed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And to be honest, like I was in my mid-20s, and this was 15, almost 16 years ago. I had no idea about the intricacies of black racism in yeah. the US and I didn't do that research and chose to adopt through New Orleans because it was one of the fastest ways to get a newborn baby. Right. And is selfish. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and our motivation sometimes for adoption isn't always, I don't know, it's hard to say because I, I just really wanted to be a mom and I wasn't thinking through a lot of the implications that come from that. But I'm learning now and I'm open to having those conversations even though they're really hard
1: (laughs) it's not perfect we have a long way to go but Mm -hmm. it's getting there i hope yeah i agree yeah Yeah. i agree i'm just curious when so emmy like you made a point of saying she's in a woman's body and so obviously she's got a period Mm -hmm. is there like could you not make the decision to intervene in that way like like a birth control or like a I don't know, like because I wonder about that with adults with disabilities that can't advocate for themselves or give consent in that way, medical consent. Yeah, absolutely. So that is something that
2: we need to work on with she's she's actually manages it super well. We saw when she was about nine that she was probably gonna be getting it quite soon. So we had her at the time the autism specialist wrote up a little book for her that was just so precious talking about periods and That all women have it. And so we really prepared her for when she would have that. And then we got her some special underwear. It's called NYX, K-N-I-X. And it's a period underwear. And just like provided her with resources to manage that. So she does really well with it. But we will probably work to get her an IUD that stops the period another one of my sleepless night things is that women with those delays are 80 percent chance that they will be sexually assaulted
1: (laughs) that's what I think about what level Mm. of consent can she give
2: absolutely so I think like at this point in her life she's never not supervised right you know so it's less of a concern but as she gets older you know attempt some independence I'm not really sure if she'll actually ever be independent, like our sort of future plan is that she would maybe move in with a supportive roommate or have an aide that takes her to a job and supports her with her job. But like, she won't ever, because of how severe her intellectual disability is, she won't ever be like a fully functioning independent adult. And that's totally okay. We have plans for that. And are sort of thinking ahead about that but we don't know until she's older where she'll be at so uh, that is absolutely a concern is like what if she's two walks from my house but gets yeah. stopped by someone who makes her feel happy and loved and she cannot read secondary motives right <laughs> from yeah. people like you know and so yeah it's scary and I teach her lots about You know, consent in her body and who's allowed to touch it and all of that stuff. And she's decently feisty, but you just don't know. You just don't know. So I agree. Like, once she's moving into some more potential independence, we would definitely look at some form of birth control for her. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh,
2: I know. So, like, it's so sad because, you know, she's just like literally a four or five year old dealing with these big issues yeah. and but she does them with such grace and both of my kids I just I admire their courage and the willingness to work through these things and still come out on the other end with so much love and desire to be better and to keep trying at school even when it's so hard they're just such amazing human beings and I am so grateful for what they've taught me and who they are becoming. I am on the other side of what was a very dark period in my life. And I'm just so thankful for that.
1: My God, Amanda, thank you so much for (laughs) being so honest. This is like a really hard topic because people just think like, oh, I wanted to adopt. So I got a baby and it was great. Yeah. (laughs) but it's really intricate and You know, your experience. I do think that this is a real experience that people have. And even birth parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can birth kids that end up having mental health issues and struggles Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, ah, parenting is hard. I say this as a (laughs) non-parent, but. Like, I don't know how parents yeah, do it. Yeah, you are, but you are a
2: major support for many moms in the community. So you see it. I know yeah. that you have a strong understanding of it. So yeah. you're not totally removed from it either.
1: If I stay, if I'm kept up at night thinking, how do I impact these young humans' lives without messing them up in today's <laughs> world? And I'm not even a parent. You know what I mean? Like, I can only imagine oh, yeah. the the sleepless nights parents have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing a great job <laughs> thank for you, what Harley. it's worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I love talking to you and Aww. I'm going to find a reason to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We love um, repeat guests.
2: Yeah. And yeah. Uh, send Michelle my love and uh, let me know if you guys need anything.
1: I will. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Okay. Bye. bye. Well, this is normally the part of the outro where I say, oh, my God, Amanda, thank you so much for being on our podcast again. But then Michelle and I would talk about how great the episode was. So I can only um, ask you, like, what do you do you think the episode was
0: amazing? Yeah, I think it was really great. I think it takes like a really caring and strong person to adopt some kids. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure she's amazing.
1: You would have to meet her. She's honestly the greatest. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Well, I already said thank you to Amanda. Thank you for pouring me wine and also being my intro outro backup because I hadn't really planned it and I wasn't sure where Michelle was at. And then I decided, no, girl needs rest. I'm not even going to ask her. Yeah. Put the kids to bed, put the dogs to bed. And here we are.
0: Yeah, we're surrounded by... Six dogs, yeah, yeah.
1: Six dogs, and the kids are asleep, and we've got wine. So, I hope everybody has a really great week. Yeah, and I get to spend—I hope you have a great week, and (laughs) you'll be sleeping here. I know tonight's my first night back since house sitting, so I'm excited. Okay, this is a (laughs) PG podcast, Michelle. I can already tell. Is rolling (laughs) your eyes listening? But yeah, if you guys don't already, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at I did not sign up for this. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.